0: Before we start the episode, I want to talk about a new book that I have coming out. It's called What Belongs to Caesar. It's a collection of essays that deal with the relationship of the kingdom of God to the state, or government, and it falls within a tradition uh, that some call Christian anarchism. What is Christian anarchism? Well, I'm hoping to give some background on that in the series of interviews uh, that you're watching right now. Um, Some of the people I'm talking to are Christians who want to strongly distinguish the kingdom of God from the state, Others are anarcho-capitalists who want to minimize the violence that humans do to each other through government by doing away with the state, uh, but not necessarily Christians. And others are a little bit of both. Um, So I strongly encourage you to check out the works of these thinkers and also get a hold of my book, What Belongs to Caesar, uh, which will be out in March of 2022. Thank you and enjoy the show. Greetings, you're listening to Cantus Firmus. My guest today is, and this is a Greek name, and uh, <laughs> uh, my my my, uh, my uh, knowledge of Greek is kind of limited to first century and an, and an Erasmian uh, medieval pronunciation. So I'm going to do my best here. It's Alexander Christoyanopoulos.
1: Very good, thank you. Um,
0: I think I stilted, was stilted, but can you pronounce it just so everybody can hear it?
1: Yeah, Alex Christoyanopoulos, I think, would be in English. Christoyanopoulos, if you want to be Greek. I mean, anything close enough.
0: Yeah, yes, it would be the kind. All right. So, uh, and and Alex, we'll call him, is a lecturer in politics and international relations at, okay, now we have a a, a, sort of a funny British word, Uh, Loughborough? Loughborough. 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 I I can't justify the
1: way it's written. It's not my (laughs) choice. Uh, Loughborough.
0: Yeah. All right. So I'm so far I'm I'm not I'm not sounding too sophisticated with my pronunciations. Loughborough University and the editor in chief of the Journal of Pacifism and Nonviolence and those words I could pronounce. Um. So, and, and I have you here today because primarily because of a book that you wrote, Christian Anarchism: A Political Commentary on the Gospel. And before we maybe go too deep into that, um, I'm kind of curious about your personal and academic background.
1: Sure. So as you can tell from the family name uh, i'm part greek my dad was greek uh, the alexandre if you're going to be pedantic is hinting at the french root my mum's french i grew up in belgium and i've lived in england for uh, 20 what 4 5 years now so yeah, slightly confused in terms of if you want ethnic or national kind of background, if, if that's the word. But you know, I'm I'm a white male European in that sense. I'm privileged, and I can you know pretend to have a, a diverse background. It's still monolithic in that sense. In terms of academic background, my BA was my bachelor's was in economics. Um, which I found interesting and frustrating in equal measure, uh, partly frustrating because kind of a lot of the more interesting stuff is assumed away. Uh, When I was making those points, I was told, ah, but that's politics. So you need to cross campus. So I did. Uh, For the MA, I went to do a Masters in International Relations and European Studies. And that was, I mean, that basically finished on 9-11. Um, And I knew like on the day of uh, during the attacks was when we were sitting the the final exam. I knew I wanted to do a PhD afterwards. I wasn't too sure what in. That's the one year I left the UK before I kind of came back. And then I basically pursued a PhD in, well, politics and religion, but effectively, uh, you know, Christian anarchism. The the title of the thesis was Theorizing Christian Anarchism, a political commentary on the gospel. So the same title as the book, but without the word theorizing or with the word theorizing for the thesis. Yeah.
0: And, and, and the, the, the version that I read on Kindle is, is significantly cut down compared to the thesis. Yeah. So, I mean,
1: uh, the, from, from the thesis to the hardback, the w- the main change was dropping the word theorising and the notion that what I was doing is theorising because the editor didn't want it. But effectively, it's the same content apart from the mentions of that, of that kind of process of that term, if you want. And then for the abridged version the year after, I basically cut a lot of the footnotes. Uh, so a lot of the footnotes in the thesis and in the original book kind of try and point to every instance of writings I came across that basically, you know, um, uh, echoed the main point I was making in the main text, and this time for the abridged version, I just stuck to the people who I'm actually quoting directly, uh, and I'm not kind of listing all the others who might have had similar views. But if the main text is basically the same with a few fewer typos, there's still far too many.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, and I have to say, I mean, for for something that was originally um, a dissertation, it's very readable, uh, and you know. I, they, they, they say in academia, that's that's a bad thing, but um, <laughs> well, I got
1: away with it anyway. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 a really exceptional book. And, and the research is 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 incredible. I mean, all, all the sort of uh, perspectives you put together and my academic background is, is more just straight in theology. But I have a lot of interest in economics and and in politics, obviously. Um, uh, and I was a little bit curious. Uh, you, you, you mentioned. Uh, like anarcho-capitalism which i'm a little bit more uh, sympathetic with but you seem a uh, uh, um, a little skeptical of it in the book i, I would say uh you, you quote some of those guys but there, there, there's a sense of ah, i don't know about this Is is your did you kind of come down in a certain kind of economic perspective as you were studying it or
1: anarcho-capitalism is an interesting phenomenon you see because in uh europe on this side of the pond as they like to describe it in the uk it's not a thing. And, and a lot of anarchists are offended by the very idea that anarcho-capitalists can appropriate the word anarcho in, in, in their title. It's really only a phenomenon in the US, which is where a lot of people who are reading this uh, this stuff, like the, the Christian anarchism stuff, actually happen to be based. So I was aware of that for a start. I think that the, thing, the thing I did in the book is, look, in the thesis even, I just tried in the thesis to look out for everything that I could come across that had been written, that basically argued that one way or another, Christianity should amount to anarchism or an interpretation of the the main Christian text should amount to a form of anarchism one way or another. We can come back to that later if you want. But so I I kind of cast the the, the net quite wide. And, you know, in doing so, I came across a few people who describe themselves or are clearly defined as kind of Christian anarcho-capitalists. So I had to decide, do I include them or not? And I thought, well, the main purpose I'm trying to uh, follow here is to sort of, you know, include all the voices that help shore up Uh, an argument according to which Christianity should amount to anarchism. Well, these people contributed to some degree, so I'll include those arguments, but I also did acknowledge, wherever relevant, uh, when the kinds of arguments these people would be making kind of hit against the kinds of arguments that some of the other Christian anarchists might make, or some of the non-capitalist or non-pro-capitalist anarchists might make, because I think it's kind of important to acknowledge that. But I'm also, yeah, I'm aware that it's a sensitive topic, especially uh, well, in, uh, outside the US, basically. The, the, uh, yeah, so that's kind of where I stood. I mean, like, we, we we can go deeper into that if you want, but that, that's the, the short version. Yeah,
0: well, I, I think you're you're absolutely right that historically anarchism and Christian anarchism are not necessarily like free market, right? So like, I, I just uh, I read a, um, a, a collection, I think it's called The Anarchist Handbook by Michael Malice, who's a Ukrainian immigrant to the United States. And he's an ANCAP, he's an anarcho-capitalist. And so, you know, if he wants to, he wants to put this kind of collection together of all these essential anarchist writings. So the vast majority of them are not anarcho-capitalists because historically those they're more recent. Um, but, but but certainly, what I will say is, while it may be more of an American phenomenon, it's very influenced by uh, kind of classical liberal tradition in the in in Europe, right? Um cool. Yeah. And, and and a lot of the, the, the main figures are people who, like, escaped from Ukraine or Russia <laughs> to come to the United States and yeah. have a certain sensitivity toward uh, maybe uh, the more extremes in, in, in kind of left-wing politics, right?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, but you see, I mean, so I, I recognize all that. And, and I, that's why I, I don't think there's, I don't want to kind of come hard against the very notion of anarcho-capitalism the way many other anarchists would. Uh, but and one of the reasons, by the way, is that quite a few people, I think, kind of transition towards uh, some form of anarchism through that particular kind of anarcho-capitalist avenue. I was talking about that with with uh, uh, someone else who was interviewing me for a podcast uh, a month or so ago. But I think it's important to acknowledge some of the critiques that kind of anarchists make of this, and and uh, the two of, w- two of which come to the front of my mind right now are, first of all, it's not really a movement the way the anarchist movement can be described certainly in the 19th century at uh, its peak but 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 onwards it's it's not like you've got masses of people in the street or people who kind of organize it it, it is it, it's a version of free market capitalism in 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 some cases and and that's kind of one thing so the the uh who populates it is very different in the first mm-hmm. place. And, and, it, and it's rarely the working class as well, etc. So it's very different demographic. And secondly, um for a lot of anarchists it's not just about opposing the state, it's about opposing all sorts of structures of oppression, and private property is at the source of a lot of inequalities in the eyes of the majority of anarchists, which is why they can't countenance the notion of anarcho-capitalism. And so, you know, it, it, it is a complicated one to negotiate that one. Uh, it's just, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it, and I, I I'm curious about your perspective. And I, I wasn't I wasn't trying to come after you because we have a disagreement on it. I was just, sure. I, I was interested in kind of because you do include those perspectives in the book. I, I just noticed that you seem a little skeptical of them. I just wanted to <laughs> acknowledge because I'm
1: aware that some of the people who read the book, you know, are anarcho-capitalists. Some are Christians, some are not. Some are secular, some are certainly not anarcho-capitalist. And I just wanted to kind of be fair in locating it and acknowledging that it's controversial. But there are other but by the way, there are other bits that are somewhat controversial. So, again, we might come to that later on, but you have people who's, you know, uh, who's placing the Christian anarchist canon, if there's even such a thing, is debatable. I mean, Werner because of his views on Romans 13, is not the most popular uh, author in, uh, among, among Christian anarchists, or even Tolstoy. And that, that's kind of even more, I don't know if it's more controversial, but more problematic. You know, Tolstoy is often the main um, thinker mentioned in, uh, I don't know, Uh, introductions to anarchism to kind of illustrate the fact that there are some kind of Christian anarchist thinkers out there. So they'll they'll mention Tolstoy in passing. But Tolstoy is a pretty odd Christian for most Christians. I mean, he's not really a Christian by many measures. You know, he he doesn't believe in the resurrection. He's got very little time for the church. What he takes from the Bible is the ethics, the morality of Jesus. There's very little theology in Tolstoy. It's exegesis. And so that makes him quite awkward um, for a lot of Christians today. So there, and, And I I mean, I don't know if I acknowledge all of that as much as I could in the book too, but I think it's important to kind of note these kinds of tensions. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not claiming you having a go. It was just, I, I want to be clear that yeah, I just, I'm just trying to describe this as you know, honestly as I can, as it were, located uh, in, yeah. in, the, in the wider landscape.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and it, I think what you're kind of hinting at a little bit is these sort of outliers that, yeah. um, you know, anarcho-capitalists are kind of outliers in the anarchist movement and Tolstoy is kind of an outlier in Christianity. Um, yes. Although, yeah, 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 yeah. although but but we're all kind of in the same I, team a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 OK. Um, well, I, I, I do want to move on to kind of some more of the, the specifically the, the Christian aspects of it. I, there's, I think there's a lot of interesting conversations because I, 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 I haven't had a lot of conversations with the kind of left anarchist, so I have a lot of questions about like how certain things would work. So for me, part, part of the reason um, why anarcho-capitalism seems a little bit more pragmatic is because if you sort of say, well, you know, um, I'm, you know, in an anarchist system, no one's going to steal your stuff or force you to give it away. I, I don't see how we can avoid having a free market. It seems kind of like a default position to sort of have that. And, and, I, and I, I, there's a number of, um, of anarchists uh, kind of historically who argued, well, really, once you get government out of the way, the market actually could work better. And these aren't necessarily even ANCAPs. Um, th- th- they, they see the, the specific uh, structure of force underpinning uh, what you we, what we might call capitalism um, as really the problem, and that once you get those things out of the way, things will work more smoothly. At least that's the argument. Um, so that that is kind of one reason why I've been a little. I think there's maybe a question that I've had that I, I've sort of struggled to understand how how the uh, more kind of a left anarchism or anarcho communism uh, would would kind of work.
1: I mean, this is this is taking me slightly out of my depth to the extent that you know. I, I mean, I'm I'm not uh, as big an expert on if you want secular anarchism as some of my colleagues at Loughborough, for example, but. Um, among the things I can think about anyway uh, first of all I think this gets to a, 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 a whole territory which is a bit complicated which is I suppose the nature of economic relations either in a in, in an anarchist you know imaginary I don't know, I don't want to say utopia but some sort of anarchist future as it were or in, 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 in the practice of anarchism today but but also in criticizing the current order and by the way what just to sort of register this I, I, I like to point out how um, taking a critical perspective, such as an anarchist perspective, isn't just about preaching a particular way of doing things. It's also Mm. criticizing the way things are done now, right? It's about articulating a a critique of the current order before we start thinking about what we might get instead. So I like, for example, to point out when some people are disagreeing with me, whether it's around the kitchen table with family or whatever. You know, I, at, at some point in an argument, sometimes people say, "Ah, oh, yes, but what anarchists are calling for is unrealistic. And I like to kind of pause there and say, hang on, let, let, let's talk about that. I don't necessarily disagree, but can we at least acknowledge that very often what's been done in that moment is you're kind of acknowledging that a lot of the critique that Tanaka's might be articulating about the current order is possibly quite valid. Now, whether what they have in mind for what can replace it is realistic is a slightly different debate. And this is it's a kind of challenge for the whole of humanity to kind of think creatively of alternative ways of, of doing things. So that's kind of one, uh, sorry, a, a br- brief kind of tangent. But it gets to the nature of economic relations and, 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 and that's complicated because anarchists have different views on this. And and of course, there will be uh, exchanges, economic exchanges. There may or may not be money, depending on which anarchist you follow. I think, and also uh, fundamentally, most anarchists aren't necessarily against property depending what you mean by it. If you mean the fruits of your labor, you know, uh, this is a field, you tilled it, you worked it, it's produced stuff and you're, you're out there to kind of exchange it for something else. That's not necessarily a problem for most anarchists. What's more of a problem is the accumulation of property and especially the rather vulgar and extravagant accumulation of masses of property next to, for example, a small commune or village. The vast majority, Uh, of whose habitants, you know, don't have access to that land and therefore kind of can't feed themselves. That's where property becomes problematic. And that's where very often, and that's the challenge that a lot of sort of standard anarchists, if you want, will raise with anarcho-capitalists, is um, those kinds of unequal uh, accumulations of property or property relations probably do need the state to be uh, protected, defended, um, you know, because otherwise, quite frankly, the majority are going to start using the land that 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 the rich landowner you know, is trying to keep away from. So it, yeah, that, but that's I think the sorts of lines of think of debate that you can go uh, to with this. I I have to say I think with um I have to say I don't know, but I think what's coming to my mind now is when it comes to kind of Christian anarchism and specifically the kinds of Christian anarchism which. I focused on, which is mainly exegesis. So it's not necessarily sort of Christians who happen to be anarchists or who see broad echoes. It's people who kind of read the text and think, hang on, this has to amount to some form of anarchism because for one way or another, for one reason or another. The arguments for Christian anarchism center mainly, it seems to me, around two main things. And it's kind of non-violence if you want, or rejection of violence and state violence, etc. Again, we can go into that if you want. And the other is kind of idolatry, the state as idolatry, the state as um, yeah, some form of idolatry, etc. Now, that doesn't say much about the economy, and that's why I think, and and, and uh, a lot of anarchists today would argue that anarchism is not just about opposing the state; it is about opposing other forms of oppression, other forms of domination, whether it's in um, sexism and patriarchy or speciesism, is a speciesism, um, you know, uh, or um yeah, forms of capitalism, etc. And Christian anarchism, if you stick to an exegesis of the text, doesn't say much about it. Like it's a lot it's a much shorter route, I think, exegetically, from the gospel to a rejection of violence on the state as violent, or from the gospel to a rejection of the state as idolatry, than it is to move from the gospel exegetically to eventually conclude much either on kind of the, the nature of market relations that you would want to see or gender relations, etc. You have to kind of extrapolate a lot more. You have fewer sources to base it on, etc. So I think kind of the core of, um, uh, what is it, of the core of the argument, if you want, of Christian anarchism, at least exegetically, isn't really focused on the economy in that sense to the extent that it is, it's about caring for the downtrodden and, you know, serving the weaker and, 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 and the weak is not the right term, but yeah, that kind of stuff. And I suppose that's where you can probably extrapolate a sort of left-leaning understanding of the market, but that doesn't mean that there is no market at all and it doesn't say much about property. But, but again, that's up for debate and it's, it's not as clear-cut, I think, as the case that Christianity should amount to a rejection of violence and the violence of the state. The violence of the state.
0: Yeah, no, that, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, and and I'll move past that because I'm 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 more interested in the Christian side of this. But I, I was just I was curious what you thought about that because it was an area that I was kind of trying to work through myself. Yeah, sure. Um. So the the term Christian anarchism. Some some might say, well, that's an oxymoron. I mean, yeah. the traditional slogan of anarchists is no gods, no masters. Um so I mean what is what does it mean to be a Christian anarchist when the, the, those seem to be contradictory ideas?
1: Yeah, no, good question which I get quite a lot, and uh, it, it's interesting how you get it more in particular context. You get it more, for example, I mean, if you're in Europe, you get it more in Spain, in Italy, in France, or speaking to people from there, and perhaps less so in Germany, in 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 England, or in in, in Scandinavia, people whose context t- t- tends to be more Protestant originally, kind of. So, but that, that, and there's all sorts of reasons for that which we can go into now. Um, if you if you approach it from the question of anarchism to begin with rather than christianity but we'll come to that I'll come to that in a second if for you for to be if to be a, a, an anarchist is to reject religion if it's critical to your definition of anarchism no gods no masters then yes in a sense christian anarchism is an oxymoron but if your defining characteristic of anarchism is a critique of the state and other structures of domination including possibly the church then it's not necessarily an oxymoron. And by the way, a lot of Christian anarchists are quite critical of the church, Um, different degrees of uh, anti-clericalism, etc. So it it depends what you make your central characteristic of anarchism, I think, whether it's an oxymoron or not. Now, if you approach it from the kind of Christian angle, the the Christian word rather than the anarchism word, then uh, the argument that Christian anarchists would make is that Christian anarchism isn't an oxymoron, but it's actually a redundancy in a sense, because it, it is basically just pointing to what, in their eyes, would be a consistent interpretation of Jesus' teaching and example, which has to translate to a form of anarchism. So in a sense, to be a Christian should, by implication, without having to state it, amount to a form of anarchism. And in that sense, it's not even an oxymoron, but a redundancy. So it kind of depends the way you, um, you approach it. I, at the end of the day, I guess it's still a label that has been used uh, describe a particular, I don't know if I want to call it a tradition, but a group of people, some, I don't know if it's a movement, but a, a group of people who practice it or who try to live by that that, that, that understanding and the people who've written about it. And to that extent, I think, you know, it's still to be used as it were, but yeah.
0: Well, and one, one slogan you sometimes, or I've heard some Christian anarchists use is the no king but Christ, yep. which maybe is uh, a different spin on no gods, no masters. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a way of saying, well, you know, I I, I follow. I believe in the authority of Christ. But yeah. as far as these kings and presidents and prime ministers and so on and so forth, uh, you know, I don't recognize them as my authority. Absolutely.
1: No. And I agree that, that you do you, there. It is quite a popular slogan and it. Yeah, it captures quite well what Christian anarchism feels, I suppose, or what Christian anarchists feel about about that motto. It's a kind of reaction to it. I agree. So yeah, not kings, but Christ. But that's precisely both problematic, like deeply unacceptable for a lot of secular anarchists, and also evidence of why they therefore reject all kind of kings on earth and therefore are anarchists in some sense. So yes, I agree.
0: well, it, it sounds like there's there's a lot of people saying, you're not a real anarchist or you're not a real Christian. <laughs> so you see,
1: yeah, you definitely, uh, come on, you come across a lot of that. Yeah, I agree. No, no. And, and uh, the thing about what I was saying about different contexts, I, I do find it interesting. You know, it's anecdotal rather than empirically kind of tested, but it's my experience, you know, having traveled around Europe a fair bit or coming across people from different parts. A lot of people who come from, as I said, France, Spain, Italy, Greece, can't even conceive of the notion of Christian anarchism. That's a contradiction in terms. It's not possible. You know, surely anarchism is not just anti-clerical, but anti-religion. And they often come at it with ah, a history of perhaps, you know, wounds and injuries felt by by them from the, you know, the church, etc. And so so they dislike that with a passion. Um, Whereas often people who are, you know, coming from, as I said, uh, basically it seems kind of Protestant backgrounds seem to think, you know, oh, okay, I, I, could, I could see where you could go with it. You kind of explain it, they they consider it. They, they they, can see the tensions that we just mentioned, but but it's not as unacceptable a proposition to them as, as, as it can be for others. So yeah, it, another interesting controversy for you.
0: Well, and maybe while we're talking about controversies, I was going to ask you about the, the biblical passages that Christian anarchists appeal to, but maybe before we do that, You'd mentioned Vernard uh, Eller earlier. We've kind of hinted at Tolstoy. And it seems that there are these kind of two uh, continuums that sort of determine that the people are kind of on in the Christian anarchism uh, train or whatever. And one of them is um, uh, orthodoxy, <laughs> the orthodoxy train. Uh, do, they, do they, like, so you know, Story, Tolstoy rejects the miraculous because he's a product of the enlightenment. And he thinks that that's kind of the way that we're supposed to do it um so he's calls himself a christian but he's not he doesn't really believe in um you know the, the councils and a lot of, you mentioned a lot of the anarchists kind of mm-hmm. reject these sort of traditional uh, understandings of like who jesus is and things like that that mm-hmm. are sort of determined by the councils so that's one of the continuums and the other mm-hmm. continuum is i think kind of the separatism versus activism continuism mm-hmm. a continuum so whereas i think tolstoy would like to see an anarchist society created um, Eller's position is kind of more, he's a traditional Anabaptist, and mm-hmm. we can talk about whether Anabaptists are really Christian anarchists or not, because yeah. uh, you he, would sort of suggested a lot of folks didn't, didn't really appreciate his particular form of anarchism. Yeah. But he uses the word, but what he's kind of more interested in is, like, I don't know if we can get rid of the state. I'm just interested in Christians living separately yeah. and, and living, you know, kind of being the shining city on a hill, and, and that's good enough. Um,
1: and being kind of passionately indifferent about the state type thing, or something along yeah. those lines, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So, yeah. So, so, what's kind of interesting is, I think, um, I'm I, I'm more rooted in because I have kind of a high view of scripture, and I, I, you know, I like the councils of Nicaea and Chalcedon, and I think they they have good points and stuff. So I, I'm kind of on that side. I'm interested in whether we can uh, create a society or whether we have to stay separate. I'm kind of open on that question, but I feel very strongly on that other continuum about orthodoxy. I think Christianity is not just rejection of non-rejection of violence, although it is that, um, but it's not only that. And whereas I feel like Tolstoy feels like, well, that it, basically we're talking about rejection of violence and that's all we really need to say about Christianity. That's a little bit of a simplification, but that feels a bit like what he's saying. Um, so I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I, I mean,
1: I think you're right. I think that is that is largely what he's saying. I mean, um, he takes from Jesus all that stuff about violence and he runs with it in every direction, uh, you know, in, in the Russian context, in the international context of the kind and kind of rejects the violence of the state, rejects the violence of revolutionaries. That's his main thing, rejecting violence. As far as he's concerned, violence is the root of, I don't know, if he doesn't say it's the root of all evil, but it's the main thing to be abolished. It's the main trouble. So I agree. Now uh, that th- that's a fair description. If you want characterization of, of Tolstoy, I think what I'd say is, I mean, I feel similarly, I suppose, about Christian anarchism. I, I don't know that I'm enough of a th- theologian or or, or, or even enough of a Christian myself to say that I'm sort of interested in, um, that more theological aspect and you know councils etc. And, and and onwards. But I do think that you can you can absolutely still stick to those um, whilst taking on board from Tolstoy the stuff he says insistently is 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 pretty critical in, in what Jesus says about kind of violence and non violence. So you know Tolstoy is difficult to associate with if if if. <laughs> if you think Jesus is something more than just an ethical teacher that may or may not have roamed about the earth back then, which is basically what Tolstoy keeps him at. But if if, if you think that uh, Jesus is a lot more important than that, that Jesus is the person whom many Christians kind of, you know, read him as being the Christ, etc. If you if you want to sort of keep some of the more interesting and, and deep kind of rich theology that has been articulated since, I think you can still do that. Um, as long as In the process, you don't end up, and that's what Kostolso would be critical of, kind of suffocating the ethical, the radical ethical message of Jesus, pretending he didn't really mean it. You know, start bringing some kind of, uh, I don't know if it's, I don't even want to give the word theology to it. It's too much of a compliment. The kind of tricks of of distractions to sort of, yeah, I mean. Tolstoy does think that a lot of the theological stuff that was articulated over time was meant to distract from the the, the teaching of Jesus. I don't think if it, it that it's necessarily the case that it has to be. But um, so I think you you can keep both, uh, but I'd certainly acknowledge that Tolstoy doesn't give you much there. I mean, you know, he, you'll you'll drop him at um, at Nicaea or earlier uh, at yeah. Paul probably actually, but that's a different debate.
0: Well, I think I, is it is it the kingdom of God is within you, or the kingdom of heaven was within you that he uh, his. Um Major the way
1: it's God, but it's uh, yeah, it, it's Russian and then translated. But yeah, okay. the kingdom of God is within you. It's how it's often translated. <clears throat> English.
0: Yeah, when, when I read that years ago, I thought, man, I'm reading the first part of it. This is all excellent. And then he starts getting into, well, Christ isn't divine and stuff. Yeah, well, okay, I'm not interested in Yeah, and <clears throat> excuse me, but I, I think I sort of stand in this place where I look at um, my sort of Christian Orthodox friends who reject um uh, non and pacifism and stuff like that and i say you guys aren't taking scripture seriously you claim yeah. to be taking scripture seriously yeah. but you're not and and we have all these conversations about what the bible says and they always appeal to practical concerns yeah. um, or something like that and then but on the other hand i kind of look at somebody on the other side like a, uh uh yeah. like a tolstoy and i say you know you you are taking it seriously but you don't really have like a reason to like, I, I think, you know, if Jesus is just a guy, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to live your life um, in, in the sort of way that Christian are supposed to live their life where they they utterly reject violence because they trust in God. Because practically speaking, violence seems kind of like it makes sense sometimes. Yeah. So, so I, I sort of feel like I'm in this kind of position where I'm trying to join these yeah. these, these together. Like, OK, we have to take scripture seriously. But by taking scripture seriously, we would come to this non-violent viewpoint. And I feel like if you have one without the other, you're either, you know, you don't have a foundation or you're not taking it seriously.
1: Yeah. So no, good. So two two or three quick things on this. First of all, um, I mean, uh, um, where am I? Ah, I forgot them right away. Uh, yeah. First of all. I'm not sure. That violence is necessarily as effective as we think it is. That's one of the things I want to keep exploring with the journal that we're launching next year on 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 pacifism and nonviolence. It is a very widespread assumption uh, that, that, that violence is more effective. It, it it's not clear. It's not borne out by. it, but, so that's a that's a separate debate. Secondly, uh, I, I, I agree, uh, and I think that uh, one thing I like to point out, I suppose, to people who accuse Tolstoy of underplaying. theology and overplaying the ethics is that you can probably say the same the other way around to those distractors. They are probably underplaying the ethics. Um, I don't know if they're overplaying the theology, but let's just say at the very least they don't seem to be living by the pretty radical ethics that Jesus is pretty consistent on. Um, And I forgot my last point was, Uh, I should have taken it down, uh, written it down, but um, yeah, sorry, it might come back.
0: No, 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 and those are all excellent points. I, I think especially the, the practical point, and then that's something, you know, um, you know, I've been posting, um, you know, uh, this is a, a concern I've had about violence and nonviolence and Christian anarchism and, uh, you know, stuff that I posted on social media, uh, you know, a year ago about that, you know, I had friends who were kind of progressively Christian friends and they sort of basically liked what I said, uh, but now because of what's going on in Ukraine, it's like considered offensive, you know. It's like, well, you can't be telling Christians that they're not supposed to be using lethal force uh, because you know you're sitting in in uh, in safety in America and blah blah blah. I, I, as if as if Jesus and Paul and all these other Christian anarchists who rejected violence were all sitting in safety. Um, you know, maybe Tolstoy yeah. was a little bit, uh, but 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 many many have not been. You know, yeah. um, and I, but I, I think that that pragmatic point. That it doesn't really always work. is. I, I think there's a sense that we have that we feel like even if it doesn't work, at least I'm doing something I feel like I'm in control. And, and that that is the yeah. kind of paradox of uh, people who claim to have this really high view of God and his sovereignty, uh, is that they won't reject violence because they want to feel like they're in control. And yet these other people who really don't have a high view of God and his sovereignty uh, are fine to reject it. Uh, even though it's it's maybe kind of frightening to 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 feel like you're you're on your own in this, but but I will say yes, there is that pragmatic point that violence is not is not nearly as effective as we say that it is.
1: It, it's it's fascinating, I think, and you don't have to sort of look at it only from a religious perspective, but. Um, y- Non-violence doesn't always work. Violence doesn't always work. You know, yeah. Putin's trying violence. I'm not sure it's going to work. The response to him is clearly violent too, or not only anyway. But I'm not yeah. sure that will work either. One of the one, one of the two anyway won't work. So, and in fact, there's there's this interesting research published in 2011, I think now, by Erica Chenoweth and Maria Stefan that looks at. Um, is it 300-plus movements, violent and non-violent, over the last century or so, to try and empirically see which, w- which ones have been more effective. Uh, and the evidence is quite clear, at least in, 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 their, in their study, that non-violence succeeds twice more often than violence does, or even though overall they both fail more often than they succeed, okay? So they both fail more often than they succeed, but violence fails more often than nonviolence <laughs> does. So we can all sit and think of examples of violent movements that succeeded and, though, and, and, and that didn't, and similarly and about nonviolence. So the question, and, and, and it's never just a case of not doing anything or going violently. The, yeah. know, what's going on in Ukraine is horrific. Plenty of responses can be articulated. There's actually some interesting stuff going around the internet, at least where I sit, uh, about how there's a ton of possible responses that don't involve violence. Will it work? I don't know. But will violent uh, violence work? I'm not sure either. So, it, and and by the way, yes, third point. It's easy uh, to sort of sit in in you know, a continent away and, and and be shielded from it and kind of lecture people. And that's not what I would want to do either. But I, and, and and I'm I'm well conscious of that.
0: Um, so. Yeah. That yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think if I were going from a kind of a secular pragmatic position, I would probably warn people that violence doesn't work as much as you think it does. But I would also feel I would feel very uncomfortable saying, you know, you don't have a right to self-defense or you know, you should reject violence even, you know, when you have the, the killers at your door. Um, but but I, I do think that at the very least I can talk to Christians and say, Well, we share this you know, common heritage and this, and these common, uh, this common belief in who Christ is and what He said, and so at the very least, I think we ought to be taking that seriously. We ought to be trying to hold each other to that. Yeah. And, and I don't necessarily care that much about what what uh, atheist or agnostic Ukrainians do in defending themselves. But uh, but if I were to talk to a Ukrainian Christian friend, I might say, you know, well, you know, what 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 are we looking at? What does the Bible say? And Not just a Ukrainian Christian friend. I would look at my Russian Christian Christian friends. Who who think that it's okay because of their tradition to uh, do the dirty deeds of a killer, um, and I would say, how can you say that you take Christ seriously when you're doing this? Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I hear you, and that's the sort of stuff that a lot of Christian artists yeah. would say, and, and I have a lot of sympathy for it. And 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 but I would. That's the one thing I was going to say after the show before, and it ran out of my mind. Uh, sorry, sort of digestion time, and there's less blood in my brain. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, the I think it's yeah. I, I, I'll, I you can't lecture people who are in the danger zone about not using violence, or it's very difficult to do so. I think it's important to acknowledge that. Like you know, it's very challenging, very brave not to, in fact, precisely not to use violence. It's it's, it's frankly brave to pick up arms against Russia. It's brave to sort of choose a non-violent path of resistance. I mean, some of these images of people. Have you seen them? There's there's um uh civilians walking up towards tanks and kind of uh, preventing those tanks from rolling on I mean that, that's that's risky they might roll on and, and and that that precisely by the way doesn't mean uh, yes that's another point doesn't mean that there's no violence but the violence is absorbed upon yourself right it's it, you, you just you're not doing violence on the other now it's very challenging to do this and I'm not here going to be sort of sitting and judging people far away in a different context you know for sort of Daring to use violence it, it 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 its very difficult to judge. So yes, so that I think that's an important element of that critique that, that um, you say you have faced. About you know, it's very easy for you in the US to sit and sort of lecture people on that. I think it's important not to not to be too ju- too judgmental in a sense. I guess to to use a more Christian vocabulary, to forgive people for the choices that they make.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, and and I think it's very easy to understand in that situation um, all kinds of possible responses and yeah. and i think it's it's they're very human responses and they're ones that i think we would all be tempted uh to to to, to react in you know. My my I, uh, my my wife loves a good revenge movie and so we'll, we'll we'll watch something like death wish or whatever and uh and you know the, the, this guy who's getting revenge on the thugs who you know killed his wife or whatever and and you go yeah i get it <laughs> you know um but um i i will say kind of just one more thing about the, the pragmatic. Uh, concern, which is that we sort of um, almost have the sense that fighting back uh, gives us uh, even odds somehow or or better than even odds. And I I think what we've sort of seen is that um, using violence really doesn't tell us who's right or who's righteous. It tells us who's better at using violence, who has the most artillery or the most people or the most effective strategies. And I think that is, you know, something to think about is, um, you know, if you look at these sort of um, more nonviolent movements that have been effective, they were effective because they used a tool that was a righteous tool and that government doesn't know how to use because government only knows how to use violence. <laughs> and so that is something I think to really take into consideration. And one thing that I've done some and want to do a lot more of is think really hard about. Um, and, and do some research and, and study how have other people used nonviolent techniques uh, in an effective way, because I want to be if I'm ever in that situation, I want to be I want to have tools at my disposal instead of saying, I don't know what to do. I guess I'll try violence because it's very easy to want to go that direction. And I guess that's why it's hard to blame somebody for, for doing that.
1: Absolutely, and it's and it's it's widely assumed, it's widely repeated, precisely in popular in a popular culture, a lot of films. We you know we grow up
0: with with the
1: assumption that that's the kind of natural and, and 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 yeah reaction to be had. But yeah, and just to add the tiny point to what you're saying, which I agree with. I mean, the the effectiveness of violence depends more than we perhaps like to think, not so much on our tools and you know our kit, the the latest gizmos we're using, and how good we are at shooting but on the other side's reaction to it. People can react by being offended and seeking revenge, or they can comply. They, you know, and, and, you, uh, and, and there's a whole range of, of, of possible responses. You don't have any control of that. On that, you might have control over how you use your violence against your opponent. You don't have any control over how the, the, the opponent react. And if you look you know, across history, uh, there's plenty of examples of reactions that aren't sort of sheer compliance. Say, oh, "All right, yeah, all right, you win. You know, you, you shot us. You know, you destroyed us. That's it." And even you know, the movements that have been completely decimated will sometimes kind of You know, re-emerge either violently or non-violently to resist what had been imposed. So, you know, it's an illusion to think that uh, violence is effective. It looks like you're doing something about it, you can beat your chest, you can kind of perform masculinity to use that vocabulary if you want quite well, you know, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it works. Yeah. Oh, and the thing about it too is there'll be blood on the floor at the end of it, whereas at least having tried non-violently then there isn't necessarily any blood that you have inflicted on the floor and sure. um and you can't undo that
0: well and, and maybe it would be good to so we kind of talked about a lot of the outworking of this stuff but uh mm-hmm. you know your, your your book is a political commentary on the gospel and so you're looking at uh what the, what the scriptures, particularly the new testament has to say and so uh, i'm curious uh to kind of hear you talk a little bit about what you sort of see as the, the central um passages in scripture that that relate to christian anarchism um which in uh, and, and it's nonviolence. so maybe 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 before we do that we should talk about how nonviolence figures into this because it seems like there's a couple ways to think about it um if you could either say christ tells us to reject violence and that would have that has impact on the state either whether the state either should exist or the christians should participate in it because the state is violence government mm-hmm. is violence and so if christians aren't supposed to use it then that has a pretty big impact on how we relate to it uh, another way to, to look at it is, um, you know, if Christ is king and Caesar isn't, then uh, we could kind of start there, uh, and then we could get to kind of nonviolence through some other means. Um, but I guess I'm I'm, I'm sort of curious how you see uh, um, the relevance of Scripture to this issue, and, and maybe even kind of what what you think it's grounded in. What what is what is the statement? What what is Jesus saying about nonviolence, and what is that grounded in?
1: So let's start there, I suppose. Uh, the one passage that most Christian anarchists often turn to, certainly Tolstoy, but quite a few others, is the Sermon on the Mount in particular and the turning of the other cheek. Okay, which I could sit and elaborate, but there's a whole chapter. I mean, it, 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 there's a lot to be said about it, and and it's really interesting. But uh, that's just one, obviously, that reaction, you know, you, your cheek is being smitten, but instead of fighting back, despite, by the way, the choice of cheek is signifying an insult, or you, you kind of turn the other one, which is a rather provocative way of sort of absorbing that violence. It's still it's still a response, by the way, but it's not a violent response. That's one, that's something that a lot of Christian anarchists it's, like to, to focus on, but also- I was, gonna lot,
0: say, to, to, go sorry, I was just going to say, to elaborate, you're talking about is the idea that um, the, the, the cheek that he mentioned suggests that it's a backhanded slap and yes. that. So when you turn the other cheek, it's a nonviolent response, but it's also a demand, you know basically saying I'm your equal and you can't backhand me.
1: Yes. It's a, it's, a, it's a form of humiliation that's been imposed, and I mean, if you want to get into the specific passage, the, the other two examples that Jesus mentions, the kind of walking the, the further mile and uh, giving your cloak as well, the insult that has been imposed in the first place is, is again a form of humiliation, and what Jesus is counselling is a, a purposeful tactical reaction, one that seems to be wanting to both denounce, uh, at least implicitly, what's being done, but also respond to it in a very different way, overcoming the kinds of tensions that that um, that that um, I suppose it comes from, the kind of binary it comes from, and trying to point kind of beyond it, looking at the source of why the law was as it was on such matters, and kind of trying to point beyond it, pointing to forgiveness, etc. Now, that's just one passage, and it's it's perhaps the the, the most frequently cited one. By the way, it's also perhaps the most defining passage of Christianity, if you kind of compare Christianity to other world religions. I mean, there are similarities between religious traditions. There are important differences too. But one of the things that kind of, you know, marks Christianity out for a lot of non-Christians is that particular counsel, you know, turning on the other cheek is how a lot of people summarize Jesus's ethics, and not for no reason. He also then goes on to in the same sermon, talking talk about not judging one another. Well, through the state, we tend to judge one another. He talks about loving enemies, uh, which is obviously challenging. In other words, he's pretty clear on it. talks about forgiveness again and again, forgiving forgiving seventy seven times. Then there's um, his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. Uh, again, uh, opportunities for violence being rejected, opportunities for kingship, by the way, or explanations of what his kingship involves, which precisely point away from the state. So from all that, what Christian anarchists take is, yes, a variety of things. It's both. So it's a rejection of violence. It's 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 certainly, the, I suppose, firstly, perhaps um, the idea that Christians can't be violent. Those who follow Christ can clearly not engage in violence because clearly Christ Jesus does not condone it and illustrate both in his teaching and as an example, um, non-violence, the road to non-violence, even unto death. Okay, that's what the cross signifies. The cross is the violence of the state against Jesus, but also, the, I suppose, the performance of forgiveness and non-violence in, re- in response to it. So it's an attitude of rejecting violence and therefore, it's also a refusal to take part in the state and in state violence. So there is, yes, a sort of rejection of if you want state violence, the violence of the state and kind of stopping any uh, contribution, any consent to it, you know, stopping suddenly. So you can't be a policeman or policewoman. You can't, you know, you can't uh, be a judge or, or, or a jury. And anything that I suppose helps perform that violence that we perform against one another through the state that uh, the Christian can't do, but that, but, but that's kind of therefore a critique of the state. First, I think comes the um, the way of relating to one another. I mean, a lot of a lot of anarchists talk about prefiguration, the idea that you want to prefigure through your example the kind of society that you want to see, that you want to give the exa- you know teach by example almost as, as well. So uh, that's kind of essential to it. And so yes. For many Christian anarchists, Tolstoy in particular, this rejection of violence has to lead to rejection of the state to the extent that the state inflicts violence on your neighbors and or rather to the extent to the extent to which, through the state, we inflict violence on one another.
0: Okay, that's helpful. So um, if if, if that's what Jesus is teaching, uh, so, some might ask how how we got so far off track. Um, and maybe kind of related to that is um, you know, Christian anarchism is is kind of a, you know, it, l- let's say it starts with Tolstoy. <laughs> uh, you know that, that, that that's quite a long time after Christ. Um, so in in the in the intermediary, you have the early church, the medieval church, do you see, um, would you look at movements like the, the 16th century Anabaptists, you know, the, the Mennonites Amish? Uh, would you look at the early church, which seemed to reject war and participation in state violence? Would you say that these are examples of Christian anarchists or or would you say that they're, they're saying something different?
1: Yeah. So first of all, I mean, good questions again. Uh, first of all, the term anarchism is coined, well, the term anarchy in a sense of chaos existed for longer than that, but the term anarchism in the sense of an ideology or a position, a political position, like openly kind of a um, worn, if you want, of rejecting the state only really arises in the 19th century. So if from then on you're going to look back at things and call them anarchist, it's somewhat anachronistic, as you'd, you'd say in the technical language. I mean, it's it's therefore projecting back onto... A different context, a, a particular reading, which perhaps didn't exist at the time. So that's one thing to note. A second thing I should say in passing, by the way, before I get to that, to, to your question, is that um, I do think that the the other main, if you want, thrust of arguments that Christian anarchists articulate is, is uh, in addition to the non stuff or the rejection of violence, is the critique of idolatry, uh, which for which they rely on. First Samuel 8, the expectation of the political Messiah, which you know Jesus kind of points out is, is kind of a misreading. The third temptation. I mean, we could talk about render unto Caesar, etc. But there's all of that. Now, the early Christians do seem to abide by both of these things quite strongly. They reject violence, they do not take they, they do not enlist in the army, they 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 refuse the idolatry of Caesar, they do not burn incense uh, you know to Caesar, and therefore they are subversive, they're annoying, they're persecuted until uh, the church makes a clever move of um, embracing Christianity, or rather, you know, defacing Christianity. So, if you're if you're Tolstoy, um, what is it? I think it's him, him who's got this good quote. It's not coming to mind now, but it's how um, I- instead of the empire converting to Christianity, Christianity was converted to the empire with Constantine. So Christianity, and so from then on, and I think that's the thing about the councils that of the time that Tolstoy dislikes. It's not necessarily, I suppose, the um, uh, the, the theology, although he, he does have very little time for it, but the first thing that he's most offended by is the downgrading of the importance of Jesus's ethics, that radical kind of nonviolent critique of violent, uh, violence and, and, and all of that kind of morality of Jesus's teaching. So it then basically gets buried for a long while until you could even start with the Cathars and Albigensis to some extent and then various reformation offshoots later on, the Quakers maybe to some extent, although I'm not sure they're anarchists, they're pacifists probably, at least many of them not necessarily anarchists. Yes, the Amish, the Anabaptists, you can see in them a lot of the elements that you would expect uh, from Christian anarchists, or rather from a consistent application of Christianity into politics. Does that make them anarchists? I'm not sure, straight, you know, like in a straight way, it does. I mean, they they live quite separate from society, and many of their customs and traditions aren't necessarily entirely anarchist. Or so a lot of anarchists would necessarily recognise all of their traditions and customs, but they will recognise quite a few. And if you were to look for, you know, examples of um, groups of Christians, Christian so Christian churches, to 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 use that term instead, um, that come the closest. Uh, the Anabaptists would be among your, your prime candidates, absolutely. Uh, I just think yeah, I, I don't want to pretend that it's kind of straightforward anarchism what they live by. That they wouldn't call it that either. But it's it, it's about it's about the closest you get to some extent.
0: Yeah, well, and, and certainly we mentioned Bernard Eller. Eller sort of sees his Anabaptism as anarchism, right? Yes. Um, yeah. But, but 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 I think you kind of pointed out because it's not necessarily an activist anarchism, It's more of a separatist anarchism. Some yes. would, would question whether that that really counts. Um,
1: that's right but also it, I mean at the same time let's also acknowledge that you know Eller doesn't there represent the position that all Anabaptists subscribe to either right I mean it's yeah. one interpretation of Anabaptism and and it, yeah it's one that takes him you know, quite close to anarchism and that's certainly what he wants to describe it as and yes it's a more it's a separatist anarchism but it and but it's one and I think that's one of the things that's interesting in in Christian anarchism more generally so Eller might put it more I suppose Forcefully, then maybe that's the wrong term, but but more strongly than others might like. But uh, but but it does represent quite a few other anarchists, uh, Christian anarchists, too. This, this idea that you've got to be, I suppose, indifferent to the state, to sort of subvert it by not caring for it, not considering it that important. It's part of the idolatry thing as well, right? So you you you, you downgrade its importance. The state, meh. I don't, you know, I don't I don't buy it the way you all think it's all that important. That kind of argument is 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 important for Ella. Um, and yes, in that sense. It's separatist um, Anabaptist and therefore Anarchist, yes.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Well, I, I, I wanted to mention something because um, you mentioned the Council of Nicaea. So, um, you know, f- for those who are not too familiar with the history, uh, you know, the church is kind of largely i well, made not largely, but significantly persecuted in the first 300 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have an emperor, Emperor Constantine in, in Rome, who uh, claims to convert to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And after his conversion, uh, there's this controversy over Christ's identity. Whether, uh, in, in what sense does Scripture uh, call Christ divine, basically? And so you had uh, this bishop uh, named—I believe he's a bishop—or was—or was he a, a deacon? Anyway, Arius, um, mm-hmm. who sort of comes out and says, "Well, you know, Christ is divine in a way, but really he is a, a creation of God, so he's not really God." Um, and so you have this big controversy because you have the sort of proto-orthodox. Christians who say, no, 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 we have to say that Jesus is divine in the sense that that God is divine. And so uh, Constantine sort of feels like I've kind of bought into this religion and I'm trying to use it to unite the empire and they're fighting. So he calls together a council to decide the issue. Now, um, there were councils before that. Acts 15 references a council in Jerusalem about what to do about Gentiles, whether they should be circumcised. So that's not necessarily new, but the very fact that Constantine participates and calls the Council makes people, I think, who are maybe Christian anarchists, question its legitimacy. Um, But one thing that's kind of interesting is the Council itself, one of the canons, references Christians who are soldiers, or sorry, soldiers who become Christians and leave soldiering and come back. And it it basically says, uh, taking a a proverb from Solomon, uh, that they are like dogs returning to their vomit. And says, what should we do about these people who, uh, you know, try to go back and, and, and give gifts to uh, retain or regain their military stations? And he says, well, you can let them sit as three years as hearers, but they shouldn't be they shouldn't be taking communion because they have abandoned Christ. And so even here, you have a rejection of state violence, which is pretty yeah. interesting. And then after uh, the council doesn't decisively resolve everything, and Arius Arius's views keep spreading through the empire. Constantine says, okay, well then fine, Arius was right. Because he essentially doesn't really care. He just wants a resolution. And so to me, the question of Constantine's involvement in this council um, is not really relevant. The really, I think the real relevance is does it correctly or accurately sum up the biblical witness? And and to me, if if we're a Christian Christian anarchist, the biblical witness is significant.
1: Yeah, no, fair enough. No, I, I look, first of all, Tolstoy is perhaps the keenest to blame Constantine for everything that happened. Like, you know, he, he, sure. he's the, the, there are others, I mean, he's not the only one who focuses on that mo- move moment. And uh, frankly, you don't have to be a Christian anarchist to see that it's an important moment in the history of Christianity. Yeah. But Tolstoy perhaps overplays the importance of Constantine. Constantine, I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it. Um, but. For him, it's it, it's symptomatic of of a twist where Christianity transforms from being a practice of a way of life and a way uh, w- w- which is radically different, perhaps partly separatist, but but kind of pointedly so, visibly so, in disagreement with the way things are done, bottom up, calling out the powers that be um, and, and exemplifying a different way of doing things into a comfortable Christianity, a Christianity that doesn't see problems uh, in, in in collaborating with the state, a Christianity that you get not necessarily from exactly Constantine onwards, but certainly that, you know, f- much of the history of Christianity basically since then, right up till now, at least the mainstream Christianity, mainline Christianity, not necessarily s- plenty of interesting offshoots of all sorts, of course, let's not oversimplify, but a lot of it seems quite happy to compromise with the state to, in the process, downgrade precisely the radical ethical teaching of Jesus and the he didn't really mean it or it's not for now, it's for, the, it's for paradise, it's for later, and, and, and all of which is disingenuous and Tolstoy is, well, very acerbic about, very critical about. So and I, I agree. I mean, and he, he overplays Constantine as, as a single moment. And, and as I said to you before, I think you can keep, I suppose, elements of, I, I'll simplistically call it the theology, the richer theology, um, alongside an insistence on the ethics. Uh, Tolstoy doesn't, but I think, I think it's possible.
0: Well, and I think for Tolstoy, and maybe it's because he emphasizes the ethics so much, he sort of seems to feel like um, I don't have a quote, so I don't want to say he says this, but I feel like he says this, um, that essentially the church is lost after Constantine and after the rejection of nonviolence um, or the broad rejection of nonviolence. Um, and I don't I don't know that I would say that, but I do think that there's a point to be made there that when something that's kind of central and significant to Jesus's ethic uh, goes away, um, in what sense are we still talking about his movement? Um, and and I, I'm yes. curious, it's is kind of how you parse and, and say, so you see other people parsing that question?
1: Um, I think, so it's uh, one thing that comes to mind is it's, it's worth remembering. So Tolstoy, to by the way, converts to this view, uh, let's call it. In the last 30 years of his life, uh, around his 50s, after a long midlife crisis. And for the last 30 years of his life, he he bangs on about Christian anarchism, or what, what we call Christian anarchism, that particular interpretation of, of Jesus. For a long time, he addresses the clergy. He, and, and certainly, if you want, the lower ranking clergy. The, the, and he's speaking to Christians, he's addressing Christians. He wants to call them out of... Um, yeah, well, let's call it the main line mainstream interpretation of Christianity that has tended to be dominant and underplay the ethics etc. The people he has the least time for are those at the higher ranks of the clergy who are particularly happy to uh with that compromise and who live very fat and comfortable lives etc. Uh, and so it's interesting to know that it, it's it's not that he immediately dismisses absolutely all things church like or or the yeah you know, but, but yeah um he is suspicious of the trajectory since Constantine and he certainly wants to emphasize, he wants to reawaken Christians to the radical ethics of Jesus, basically. Now, uh, have I answered your question? Uh, I answered it very much with Tolstoy in mind. Um, Other Christian anarchists aren't necessarily as I don't want to say judgmental, but I guess I will, about the church. Um, in particular, I suppose that the extreme end, or I don't know about extreme, but the most pronounced end down that line, you do have Dorothy Day, who is a Catholic, a devout Catholic. Um, he, she almost says that if the Pope tells her to stop, she will. I mean, there are moments when she can, those aren't the exact words, but they're close enough. Um, she's, Another rare example: the bulk of Christian anarchists that I've read and come across are, by and large, I'll call them Protestant or Reformation um, Christians. You have Tulsa at at one end, uh, as, at one offshoot, or not offshoot, at one. What word you use? As as one type of outlier. Yes, much more rationalistic, embedded in Enlightenment thinking, etc. That was my point earlier: it's how you how you how you justify uh, uh, Jesus's ethics if it's not because God is. King uh, Jesus is king, and it's be- be- because it, with Tolstoy you've got to embed it in in rationalistic enlightenment thinking. Sorry, I'm. Fifty minutes later, um, no, no, yeah. But but um, <laughs> so you have you have, got, you have that, and, and you have you know um, other Christian anarchists who certainly have plenty of time for uh, various dogma and creeds and the importance of liturgy, etc. Tolstoy has no time for it. Um but, but alongside a, a radical a, a commitment, a, a, a wholehearted commitment to, to trying as close as possible to live out literally you know the Sermon on the Mount, etc. That that remains kind of important. Um so but and, and final thing, almost every Christian anarchist, I think even day up to a point, although not much, yeah, maybe not day much, but everyone else can be quite anti-clerical quite critical of the church okay but I, but I, I, you can perfectly be a Christian and be critical of the church just as you can be you know a patriot and be critical of your state I suppose you know it, it, these things don't necessarily uh, yeah aren't necessarily impossible yeah sorry.
0: Well, yeah. Well, I think, particularly from a Catholic perspective, they're, 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 the church has an authority. But from a Protestant perspective, the church is authoritative only insofar as it's representing Christ, and so that, that there can be a, a criticism there from a Protestant perspective.
1: And the, the, you know, a, bulk, a huge bulk of the Protestant tradition is precisely to kind of oppose the Catholic Church, and therefore yeah. a lot of it is anti-clerical to some degree. Yeah, except it, it. It'll, it'll have a, a different system in place, or to, yeah, you know, yeah, different way of doing church.
0: And, and a kind of a mixed reception of tradition as well. You know, yeah. Yeah, some traditions good, some not so much. Well, yes. uh, we we've kind of maybe timed because we talked about maybe trying to keep this under an hour, and we've just I think hit an hour. um I, I didn't know. If, I'm happy to go on a bit longer if you want. Well, I don't want to keep you too long. I do have a, still have maybe a few questions, but like I said, I don't I don't want to keep you too long. M- maybe what I'll do, um, what uh, what I, I want to do actually is mention the book again, and anybody who's been listening, even if there there may be. uh ways that they would answer these questions differently than you. Um, I have to say the book Christian Anarchism, a political commentary on the gospel is a great book um, because of the research that you did, because the scholarly work that you did. And even if there might be places where someone might disagree with conclusions that you may or may not have, um, it's an excellent introduction uh, to the question. You you bring up a lot of uh, figures, a lot of ideas. You deal with um, uh, exegetical arguments for Nonviolence and Christian anarchism, and you even deal with objections. And, and in fact, um, I, I've got a, a book coming out really soon where I quote. Um, I think your um, some of your your discussion of the render unto Caesar <laughs> discussion, yeah. uh, because I thought you had some you pulled some really great sources together uh, to explain that. So uh, anybody who is even you know remotely interested or mildly interested in in these these sort of issues really ought to get Christian anarchism: a political commentary on the gospel. Um, and, and and if they're if they have trouble spelling your name based on my poor pronunciation, it's written in, in the podcast. It's in the notes, and I'll provide a link as well. Uh, to the book. Um, Thanks,
1: uh, thank you for that. If I can just say something briefly on that, if that's all right, to so yeah. just explain the book a bit, because you know I have some distance from it now. I mean, it was written basically the thesis was defended in 2008, so we're we're what 14 years later now. Oh. Um, I suppose it, it it it's become ever clearer to me as uh, you know, with time passing that in, in 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 many ways the book is really. I don't know, partial, or rather, what it really does is primarily exegetical, and you can do Christian anarchism theologically in ways that are much more interesting and different to to what the book does. And by the way, there are examples of people doing that in some of the other. so I've co-edited three books called, Essays in anarchism and religion, oh, they're up there. Um, and there are essays in there that are, uh, you know, I suppose, more interesting if you're more theologically minded. And they're, by the way, free, freely available as PDFs online. If you if you Google your way to my website, you'll find links, links to that. And that's one thing I want to say. And the other thing is, i'm I'm also conscious that the book, in many ways, sort of, again, pulled together what writings I could come across that argued that Christianity amounts to anarchism, but which isn't to say that there aren't many other things that could be done. So I, I didn't go and start interviewing people who identify as Christian anarchists. And in a sense, therefore, their voice isn't really present. And while I'm at it, I suppose I'll also confess to this, which is that the way the book kind of came together is really, as you might have um, maybe able to tell so far, through Tolstoy. So it, the PhD began as uh, <sighs> I suppose an attempt to sort of capture Tolstoy's political thought. I basically, by the way, came back to it way after, and with with the book on Tolstoy's political thought, which has now been published. But it took me a while uh, after the PhD. Um, and but 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 I did, enough. I why Tolstoy because I, I do you know if, for all that I think he can be objectionable in all sorts of ways. He's a weird Christian, a weird cri- a pacifist, a weird anarchist. But he writes compellingly, and it's quite moving, and it does it it, it is. It's interesting, it, it makes you think at the very least. So I find him really compelling in various ways, but I also thought that he clearly is missing or refusing to comment on stuff that is pretty important, or that it's pretty important to comment on if you do want to put together a consistent argument for Christian anarchism. And that's stuff like Romans 13, his view on Paul is pretty quick and dismissive, render on to Caesar he barely deals with. And that's when I came across the many others, Elul, Eller, Andrews, Eliot, Catholic workers, Yoder, who's not an anarchist, but who kind of contributes, I think, to that way of thinking. And and so what I then try to do is to pull all that together to make as coherent a case for Christian anarchism as possible. But it's really primarily exegetical. And, it's, uh, and, and I just want to, I suppose, admit to that if you want, um, b- before you get to the book. But having said that, hopefully it does pull together all these voices and gives you plenty of sort of references to chase up the ones that you're more interested in um, afterwards. Well,
0: I, I, I would want to just sort of push back and say that the fact that it's exegetical is not a bad thing. And, sure. and for those who are unfamiliar with the, the word, exegetical yeah. means that you're you're looking at a text and trying to interpret it and understand it and explain it. And um, you know, I, as you maybe have guessed from kind of some of the things I've said, um, I'm a lot more interested in staying faithful to the text. And so the fact that you do that work is, is really excellent because sometimes, like I said, I'll read somebody like Tolstoy and insofar as I think they're doing the text justice, I love it. And then when he go, sort of goes off into outer space and, you know, s- you know enlightenment philosophy, I'm yeah, like, you can, ah, whatever. Yeah, you can leave that. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. But 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 that but that's my perspective. And then some some, you know, I think sometimes I'll read theology that's not really rooted in the text, and I go, that's interesting, but it's kind of hogwash. So I, I love the uh, exegetical, exegetically based stuff, and that, that is part of what you're doing in the book, but it's not all of it. There's also a, an, an excellent yeah. introduction to a lot of these ideas in uh, these philosophers and thinkers. Um, yeah. and, 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 and now that I've kind of criticized Tolstoy, I, I will agree with you. He, he says a lot of really uh, excellent things, and he's, he's, a, he's a, I think, can be a clear thinker and, and a persuasive writer, uh, one thing that I, I kind of jotted down in my notes was there's a section he has about how the state hides moral responsibility by spreading it out. Yeah. And so a legislator, for example, who says uh, you know uh, let's say the death penalty for possessing marijuana or something, a legislator says, well, I'm not the one who's going to put anybody in prison. I'm not the one who's going to arrest anybody. I'm not the executioner, so this isn't really my responsibility. And then the executioner says, well, I'm just'm fall- just giving the, the, the I'm just following what the judge said. And the judge says, well, the police brought him to me and I'm just I'm just interpreting the law. And yeah. so there's this way that the state can spread out moral responsibility so that nobody feels responsible. And th- that was such an interesting insight from Tolstoy. And and also the way he, he words it is, is, is so fascinating. So I don't want to just completely crap on Tolstoy. Uh, but 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 but, uh, uh, but yes, but obviously, there are some some places where I disagree with him.
1: No, I agree. Look, and um, I think that's one of the. Particularly interesting ideas that also articulates along the way. It's, it's this stuff about kind of. Um... Uh, helping shift moral responsibility. So I want to be careful in terms of claiming that, if you want, the state does it in the sense that it's not clear that even Torso thinks there's an intentionality there, that the state intends to do that. But the the effect of the state, the way we do things with the state, through the state, you know, uh, has that effect, which is that it uh, it devolves people of their moral responsibility. It makes them feel that, um, you know, an act, that lots of people took part in, in order to sort of inflict it, which is violent, is somehow not their fault because you know it's the, it, I'm just applying the law or it, it, it's it's uh, it's he's got uh, some of the other stuff I mean I do I do give a couple of quotes in, in in the book but there's also stuff about people representing themselves to others as being special conventional beings I'm quoting here you know noblemen merchants governors judges etc not subject to ordinary human duties but to aristocratic commercial governatorial and other obligations the <laughs> idea that you know your role makes you do what you do and I think in 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 in, in <laughs> some of what he says I don't think it's the same thing, but it, it kind of echoes, or is echoed later by um, this famous thesis by Hannah Arendt, the banality of evil. You might have come across that expression, which she articulates, you know, commenting on the trial of a of a uh, mildly senior Nazi in uh, uh, after the after the war. And it's again this idea of kind of pushing responsibility away. You know, if it wasn't me, someone else would do. It. I'm just fulfilling the duties of the state. And and for him, the, I think the thing for Tolstoy that that's particularly problematic there, it's It's the it's the refusal to um, what's the word I'm looking for to um, to remain with your moral obligation, refusal to see your moral responsibility for what's going on. The 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 yeah and 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 yes. So it's the fact that the state, the way we do things through the state, helps attenuate that sense of responsibility. That's that's what he's particularly annoyed at.
0: Sure. Well, yeah. And the, the, the the another term that came to mind is they call it the Nuremberg defense, which was yes. the Nazi war trial where they said, "Well, we were just following orders, right?" Well, exactly. Yeah. 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 Yes, and that that makes a uh, uh, sense if Christ isn't king, and the only authorities that you have to appeal to are the state authorities. Uh, but that's that's why uh, that's why Christ is king, and Christian anarchism makes a lot of sense because it uh, it, it argues that. These things that we create are artificial and they get in the way of us actually following our real obligations.
1: I think what a lot of Tolstoy does is he tries to take that off of precisely that language, but he tries to say why, uh, he tries to argue why what Christ teaches is the rational thing to do. Now uh, that doesn't sit well with a lot of Christians, but I think again, what he would say is if you, if you think that Christ is King, if, 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 if the person who says all these things is King, then all the more important to actually do what he's doing, what he's, what he's calling you to do. So, um, yeah,
0: yeah, no. and, and, And I think rationality gets us part of the way there. I just don't know that it can get us to a consistent, uh, always always following the nonviolence. you know i think it yeah. based on rationality would get you to well when it works let's do it um but, but 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 as you pointed out sometimes it doesn't work but that's why there's the faith part as well i think kind of gets you all the way there yeah uh, certainly yeah, yeah 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 yeah, maybe in my opinion anyway
1: no, um, no i agree i, I think it's an important part of of the argument for for um for Christian anarchism, it, it, it's the faith in God, um, you know, he, he has asked you to do this. He's pretty clear through Jesus that this is what he wants you to do. Um, um, yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, I, I agree that the, the job in arguing this outside a Christian context is, is harder. I want to think that it's still possible, but I, but I but there's a lot more work to be done.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. All right, well, uh, Alex, I'll I'll end it there so I don't keep it too much longer, uh, but I really appreciate you taking time to do this, and I, I do strongly encourage people to get the book.
1: Well, thanks very much, and thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.